Hello, I'm Katie Piper, and welcome to my podcast, Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. Each episode, I'll meet an amazing person with an incredible story, who's faced adversity and come through the other side to inspire others. This week, I'm talking to Brooke Kinsella. She's a campaigner and a former actress. She's also been awarded an MBE for her work to prevent knife crime. She talks to me about her work following the tragic death of her 16-year-old brother, who was stabbed to death in an unprovoked attack in 2008. Brooke, thanks for agreeing to chat to me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to finally be opposite you um, and have you all to myself to Bless talk you. to. You know, I actually, I remember coming to one of your balls years ago and everything you've just said about me um, was, you know, I, I would say it 10 times back. You've just been oh. such an inspiration. And, and I remember coming along and, you know, just being so incredibly overwhelmed by what you'd been through yourself and, and what you've managed to do. Oh, thank you. It, it's a strange thing, but in a way, um, and it seems strange to say because we don't really know each other, but over the years I'd always felt not tied to you but I'd always read interviews by you and and things about you and it kind of really resonated with me even though we haven't been through the same thing Mm -hmm. I just always noticed like emotional similarities yeah absolutely Um, so yeah I'd always been curious to to talk to you um so for for people um who haven't stalked you like I have (laughs) and are are listening today um and don't know as much about your campaigning as I do would you be able to tell me a bit about what what it is you campaign for Sure. So for 10 years now, I've been campaigning on the subject of knife crime um, and mainly the choices and consequences of knife crime and the damage it does to our society. And um, for anybody who doesn't know my story or my brother's story, I should say, uh, in June 2008, we lost my brother Ben, age 16, to knife crime. Um, Mm -hmm. We are 10 years on now. We've just marked the 10-year anniversary and... um, 10 year does it feel like 10 years or it doesn't actually i always say it 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 feels like forever ago since i last saw my little brother it feels like yesterday that it happened and mm-hmm. um you know sometimes it's like he was never here at all actually mm. um you know it's it's this year in particular has been a really poignant year for us and and a big year for our charity and our campaign um just trying to keep his legacy going and especially the year that we've had in knife crime where Mm -hmm. there are already 60 deaths in london you know it feels more you know prevalent than ever really yeah yeah i mean it's it's the topic that everybody is talking about absolutely and with ben this attack was completely unprovoked this wasn't to do with anything around his lifestyle or where he lived or friendships or no and you know I think with knife crime there is that misconception that it is it's certain areas it's certain lifestyle when that absolutely yes is true Mm. there are young people who find themselves in those situations um, that need help to get out of it but there are just as many innocent people caught up in it and you know the short story is my brother went out one night and he just never came home again. Mm-hmm. Um, he was 16. He had just finished his GCSEs. He got all A stars. He never got to open that envelope and find out what he got. Um, mm-hmm. And he went out with a couple of friends, you know, uh, on a summer's night to celebrate finishing school. You know, he was about like to, everyone like probably everybody, did that night. Absolutely. You mm-hmm. know, he had his plans. He was off to college. He he just got his first little job. He'd had his first little girlfriend. You know that that kind of 
transition of, of boy to man and um, a fight broke out in, in the pub that he was at. It had absolutely nothing to do with him but as he was making his way home because lots of young people were caught up in it and they were scared, he just said, let me get out of here and get home. Um, it, they found him and that was that. In that wrong place, that wrong time. It, it just literally came down to that and, you know, I don't think anybody deserves to lose their lives in 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 these circumstances but when there is you know absolutely no reason at all um for for me and my family it was even more devastating so who are you today because like talking about that now there's so many um questions that go off in your mind of you know the emotions you would be going through in that in that moment in that present moment to 10 years on now i mean who are you emotionally are you ang- are you angry today it's really hard to, you know, to even to the fact that it's been ten years to to remember, our, you know, my journey over ten years. Um, it, it's all a bit of a blur, and and obviously, mm-hmm. I, I started this campaign. My family and I started this campaign for selfish reasons. In the beginning, I didn't want Ben to be forgotten. He mm-hmm. was so precious to me. I mean, he was my little brother. He was so annoying. You know, he was yeah. a 16 year old boy in a house full of girls. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he was an incredibly annoying, normal 16 year old, but he was also one of my best friends. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was 25 and I still lived at home and, um, you know, he'd sneak into my room at night to watch friends and we'd read Harry Potter's together. And so I was I was so close to him. And, and when we lost him, I just the thought of him only being here for a short time in this world and, and being gone and being forgotten. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't I, I couldn't come to grips with that. And so you know, we we started this campaign, Ben's legacy, to to keep his memory going, and mm-hmm. then to stop this happening to somebody else. You know, somebody else's brother or son or or daughter, because just as many girls are being caught up in it. And so, you know, those first few years, everybody says to me, you know, how did you do it? I I don't actually know. It, it's a bit of yeah. a blur, and and I really do give all the credit to Ben. I, you know, it was his voice that the reason we started this campaign is when we lost him in in those very early days like a demented family we went rummaging round his bedroom to find any memories that we hadn't found yet because mm-hmm. we knew there'd never be new ones and he was probably looking down going what the hell are you doing going through the my things stuff. that we yeah. found you know oh you know a normal 16 year old boy would have yeah um and and we found his english coursework book and and in there was a letter that he'd written to the current prime minister at the time gordon brown and right. He basically wrote about how scared he was for our streets. And That's interesting. Absolutely. He, he'd read the story that many people will be familiar with of um, the two young teenagers, who, the, the gothic teenagers who were yes. beaten to death. And I remember that story. It, it really yeah. affected him and he was so upset and he basically just wrote that we need to make change as a society mm-hmm. to keep our young people safer. Um, I felt so ashamed because, you know, I used to read about knife crime and I'd think that's terrible and I'd turn the page and... Like many of us. Like many of us and and still do, you know, just Mm -hmm. get on with my life and there's nothing wrong with that. But my 16-year-old brother was was scared for himself and other young Mm -hmm. people and our our society and... So compassionate at such a young age. And I never knew that about him and it was something really lovely to discover. And, And basically that was what, as a family, led to us going, well, look... He was worried and he couldn't make these changes. Let's do it for him. So, so like a promise to him. Uh, yeah, almost. a promise to, to, you know, in his name, try and make the changes happen. And, and that was the start of my journey, I guess. And mm. so everything over the 10 years has been about that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've obviously had my own personal developments on the way. There, there's been times where I've been very strong and vocal and been out there in the public doing everything I can. And 
there's been times like the last few years when actually I've had to, like I'm sure you, you yourself know what you've been through, it, it hits you and you mm-hmm. realise I've not dealt with this properly. I yeah. need to go away and take some time for myself. Otherwise, I'm never, ever going to live a normal life. And that's what I've done. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting you say that because 10 years when you're dealing with trauma and PTSD isn't really very long, is it? No, not when you've got the rest of your life to get through. It's, it's It's quite overwhelming when you think, of that that you've still got to get through the rest of your life with this heartbreak yeah um, and and our roles have changed over the years there are times when actually I I, I can't get out of bed and I'm a complete wreck and mm. my dad or my mum and my sisters will pick me up and and we've learned we are very lucky because you know statistically I quite often read that it can destroy a family any any tragedy like this yeah can rip them apart and I'm so grateful that that wasn't us. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think it's more common for for that to be the outcome than the outcome that you've managed to create for you, for yourself in terms of, you know, carrying on and staying strong more often than not yeah. staying strong. I and mean, what that's... breaks my heart is when I think when I talk about these these people these these three men in Ben's case that that took Ben's life away. Um, they didn't just take one life that night, you know, mm-hmm. it, the ripple effect, not just on Ben and his friends that were scared to go out and my family and their families, you know, if they think about anyone, maybe yeah. they'll think about their families. But, you know, you, you kind of destroyed six people that night. And, mm-hmm. and luckily, my family are still together, but there are many, many others that are not. And my heart breaks for them that not only have they lost their loved ones, that they've lost each other as well it's so unfair all those dominoes just falling down absolutely it is sad and it's a waste it's a real waste the the men where it was it men three men uh in my eyes they're men they were 18 and 19 so you know old enough to know better for sure they go to young offenders uh they didn't they went straight to to big boys prison as i call it um uh it's it's a funny one actually because it's been 10 years um they got 19 year sentences um they call it life call it life i mean to me they'll all be out before they're 40 and that that's you know that's very young i mean i'm i'm you know i'll be 40 in five years my life is just about starting really i'd like to think so um yeah it's it's not life for me and we what what upsets me i think is that we have no concept or knowledge really where they are. We get a letter once a year that says, don't worry, they're still inside. I'm sure you might mm. be aware of this process. And and Do you welcome that letter or is that worse because it rakes everything back up? It's 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 bittersweet. It's a bit of both, I guess. I mean, I'd like to know something. You know, I, I would. As far as we know, we were very lucky in that they, they have to serve that 19 years before there's any talk of them coming out and mm. then we'll know what's happening. And, and lots of people are nowhere near as lucky with sentencing like that. Um, although to me, I don't think it's very fair still. We are luckier than most. But yeah, it's, you know, we still live in a community where their family and friends are around. And I don't know where they are, but obviously, you know, because of the campaign and, and myself and the work we've done, it's probably quite easy to find out where I live or my family live. And there is that constant mm-hmm. fear of walking around an area that you've lived in all of your life. Just And you're well known. Just you're... worrying a little bit if there'll ever be, you know, any kind of revenge or comeback or... or or anything really mm-hmm. and that's not good for mental health anxiety and it's not I mean you know in your situation I mean, I, I'm sure you know you, you're aware of these feelings and that just you kind of just feel like 
you'll never feel completely safe again really it, mm. it can be tricky to accept that no I am it's all right um, and yeah. to not just have that little bit of fear yeah it's a constant juggling act of emotions to try to keep them in check and keep perspective and then obviously if it becomes more heightened that's when kind of PTSD can rear its head I mm. think and you you're not as rational on certain days but how how do you deal with like they can word it life but you're you know, a life was lost that night. And like you said, many lives were irreparably damaged mm-hmm. that night. But they essentially do still have their lives, maybe in a different environment at the moment. I mean, how do you walk around every day and stay measured and, and calm and serene knowing that? Because I know it's it's labelled as justice, but is, is that justice? It doesn't feel like it. I mean... It- what I hold, if I'm honest with myself, what I have to accept is there is nothing in this world that could happen that would ever make it right. So mm-hmm. I think once you come to terms with that, you know, it's um, Ben will never come back, you know, and, and nothing can bring him back. And, and there's been lots of talk over the years of death penalties and all the and that's not anything I welcome, um, you know, that we got some kind of justice. I mean, I definitely wouldn't say that I... I am calm and measured um, all of the time. I certainly have my moments. Um, mm. I think I just made a choice that what would what would Ben want? Mm. And, and I try and live by that. And I imagine he would be very angry. And, it, you know, if it was a, another member of our family, if he was here and I wasn't, maybe he'd be really upset and angry and, you know, um, maybe do things differently. But as it's him up looking down on us, I know that he wouldn't want to see us sad every day or Mm. upset or angry Um, he would want us to live as much of a life as we could really do you think about the future do you think about when the letter changes that year and it says they're coming back into society do you prepare mentally for that or it's um I'd I'd like to talk to you about this because I know it's something that you're going through it's it's something that I've actually I I block out I I try not to think about them um I try not to let them have any more of my life and my energy Mm. um but I know that day will come and I can't predict how I would feel I mean I I I, I, I'm dreading that day in all honesty I mean I know that you've Mm. gone through that recently I mean what what was it like for you for me it feels like somebody's saying to you it's over now and it's fine and it's forgotten and it's almost like it feels almost disrespectful yeah because it feels like saying that's done and 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 like you said it's time for that person to restart their life whereas if the victims of whatever kind of crime it is will never have that option yeah it will always be a permanent physical or mental scar on that family and and on those on those people um and then there's the wider you know like you you know I've tried to push my anger into more of a charitable campaigning element and there is that wider worry of the safety of other people Mm -hmm. and the unpredictability of these people and you know I, I suppose it goes into a deeper conversation of whether you believe certain people can be rehabilitated and that kind of thing but it is like for me I've had you know it's funny that we were months apart our life changing situations and I had really bad PTSD when I first read about what happened to your family and you'll know yourself with PTSD, you notice all the traumas and all Mm. the tragedies and it really shocked me hearing about Ben. And I just think um, now 
to be at this situation where they're sort of saying to me, oh, it's over and this is happening and it's all forgotten. It just feels a bit surreal because like you, I used to block it out thinking, oh, it'll never happen. They'll never get out. And this is how I'll move forward, sort of almost not acknowledging that part. I'm so sorry. It is. It's... I mean, I, I will have that day in, in less than 10 years. I mean... Mm, it's um, no time at all. It's no time, you know, when I when I think about how quick these past 10 years have gone. And, you know, again, I, I start to worry for my mum and my dad and, and my sisters. And I have nephews in the world now. Mm. And, you know, you know, I'm sure they'll just come out and get on with their lives. And that, you know, they can still meet a girl, have babies, mm-hmm. get a job. You know, all of those things that Ben will never get to do. So on that level, it upsets me. But it... It is. It, it it's exactly as you say. It's 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 then all over, and you know, mm. I don't know what I would want in place of that. I mean, I you know, a longer sentence for sure. But I guess there will never be an amount of time where they get to come out, and I'm okay with it. Mm. I know you made um, a documentary on BBC Three um, about restorative justice. It was called Can Criminals Say Sorry? Was that your idea? Was that something you felt strongly about that you wanted to document? It was certainly something I wanted to explore. I mean, over the years, I've done everything from I've gone over to America to look at their boot camps and their prisons and the way that they deal with gangs and knife crime (laughs) and um, just anything, any trying to learn about anything that might make a difference over here. Um, So restorative justice, I'd I'd never heard about it and and it it cropped up and I was I was really intrigued. I was very sceptical, in all honesty. I mean, for anybody who doesn't know what restorative justice is, it's about putting, you know, perpetrators and victims together. And and in some cases, it could be the actual perpetrator and victim. Sometimes it's somebody who's committed a similar crime mm-hmm. with, you know, a, a similar victim. And oh, so it's not always it's not always the same, the same right. people. Um, and so, and it's about kind of closure, I guess. Maybe you know the thing that we've just spoken about, um, victims getting some kind of closure and being able to say. All the things that they've they've held in and they've bottled up over these years, really, and maybe walking away realizing that monster that I've had in my head for ten years, I've just come face to face, and and you know, and and I think it starts off more low level crimes. Maybe it's a burglar, and you don't feel mm. safe in your house, and you feel violated, and that's happened to so many people, and then you kind of come face to face with maybe <laughs> this you know young teenage kid who mm-hmm. in your head you've made it such a bigger thing and and and, that and, would empower not, you, and it empowers it? Yeah. you to feel safer in your life and in your house and so um you know I, I learned everything from rape to to you know burglary to to similar crimes to me um I kind of you know went through that journey with people who'd been on it and actually came away with with the conclusion that for some people it could work and I see why Mm. giving them back that power because I think for for people like us and anyone who's been through these tragedies it is that loss of power it's Mm -hmm. you know somebody came and took something of yours Mm -hmm. and forever changed your life and and it's that it goes back to not knowing if you can walk down the street not Mm -hmm. knowing you know all of these things and it's it gives some people a little bit of that back um has, is it something that you've been approached for? Ha, has your family been approached by these men? They haven't. That? And, you know, the, the whole <clears> crux <throat> of this documentary was, you know, the final answer, is it something that I would consider? And, and back then and still now, um, it isn't. I mean, I have lots of conversations in my head about what I would ask them. Mm. Why did you do it? You know, ridiculous questions like, did he say anything to you? What were his last words? You know, yeah. 
things that for me it's about you know your nightmares nothing can be worse in real life than your nightmares and the nightmares I have of of trying to imagine what Ben went through Mm -hmm. you know can drive you crazy so just wanting to find out the actual truth to put Mm -hmm. that to bed but as I said earlier there's nothing they can say to me that's actually going to make it okay you know and I don't think they have a reason to give me yeah Um, it would be a lie and therefore for me I don't think it would help me really um you know, therefore, I would rather, like I have done in the past, write them a letter, just telling them, yeah. this is what you've done. You might not even have realised that my dad doesn't have anybody to watch the football with now, that, mm. you know, my brother wasn't at my wedding, that he will never meet his two nephews, you know. Mm-hmm. These are the things you probably wouldn't even think about, but here it's it is. quite a brave thing to do because you wrote the open letter. It was published in a national newspaper. And that's, for anybody who's ever been faced with the option to do something like that it's not an easy thing to do it's a brave thing to do because obviously then you're going to get lots of people coming up to you all the time saying oh you know and that might not always be at the best time you know it's it takes a lot of courage to be so open it's not a British thing is it to it's, be so open about your not, emotions it's not um I think my family and I you know we made that decision 10 years ago to to be quite open in the hope that it will help others. And so, you know, that's that's the stance that I've done. You know, a little bit of me actually just hoped, will, will they pick it up and read it? I, you know, I hope so. Probably not, but you so never So you'd know. never know if they have. No. And, and that's the thing, you know, we haven't heard anything in 10 years, not whether there's been any remorse. I doubt it, but we... we we don't know. Would that make it better? I'm not sure. But we just, we know nothing. You know, we last saw them in court 10 years ago and, mm. and that was that. You're listening to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People and I'm joined by campaigner Brooke Kinsella, MBE. And another thing I thought was really interesting uh, when I was doing more stalking of you on the internet <laughs> that I found out about you that again was similar to me is um, you actually helped write a storyline in EastEnders, didn't you? Well, I so I consulted. So I definitely don't want to take any credit for the actual writing because those, those script writers were incredible. I was approached by EastEnders. Obviously, I, I was on it for a few years, a very long time ago now. Oh, I still um, remember Kelly. Oh, yeah. It's like a love of a lifetime, actually. It's, it's really funny when I'm still kind of recognised as Kelly because to me, it's it's a completely different life. But um, yeah. it was a wonderful few years. And um, I was really honoured to be approached to consult. And so they, they had this idea for a storyline and they wanted to check that I was okay with it, which was lovely. And also mm-hmm. check that that they were going to do it justice and do it properly. Right. And so what I did is I read all of the scripts and I spoke to um, the story writers and the editors and the producers um, to give a little bit of truth and reality. Um, you know, silly things that actually some people might watch on screen and mm. go, oh, that would never happen. It's actually a soap thing. And I can certainly vouch that it absolutely would happen and that is what kind what of thing? you do little things like you know i think in um very early on you know carmen goes over to the pub or she she goes out one night and you, you could never go out and you know dance or drink or even smile and you know that early on you mm-hmm. like you'd never laugh again and actually when it happened to ben i first thought i'll never eat again i will mm-hmm. never laugh again i will never be happy again mm-hmm. and actually you find yourself going out mm. just to get out of your own head mm-hmm. and you know you do do that you know there there karma will not walk through the square where her son was found mm-hmm. and i believe i don't know if it's a spoiler here but that's something that she will never do and the hospital that that ben you know was taken to and died i don't go past that i take a longer route mm-hmm. because 
I can't have flashbacks to coming out of that hospital being told, you know, he, mm-hmm. he's dead. And it's silly little things that, that give a little bit of truth to the storyline. And um, yeah. and I spoke to, to Bonnie Langford and members of the cast to help them with performance and help them understand and deal with it. And um, How did you manage to do that? Because this is a real skill of you were putting your professional hat on, but it required private emotion but you had to be able to go home that night and and be okay it was tough it was tough um i go back to my rule of okay will this help others i hope so um i think so uh i was i i I think they are so brave they were so brave and it's a continued storyline it wasn't a flash in the pan Mm. that helped you know knowing that they were doing this to make a difference long term um and i just i wanted to make sure that it was done properly and I don't Mm. think there's you know they also used many many other families wonderful families on screen and off screen and I and I just think this is something I wanted to be a part of because it had the 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 potential to reach so many people um Mm -hmm. you know we are very um the issue of knife crime is is a tough one and there it's more vocal now we're accepting that it is a problem more now but we are quite blinkered on it and that's fine I used to be but if you can use a medium like a soap that goes out to millions of, of normal houses living rooms every mm-hmm. you know three times a week i just saw that this could be a, a huge potential to make a difference but so many people you're targeting that might not pick up a book absolutely or a newspaper. and i think it's also just about like you know of course will the people that are out there carrying knives be sitting at home watching eastenders no but will it allow families to have conversations yes mm-hmm. and and our work at the Ben Kinsella Trust is about early intervention. It's about getting in with young people before they ever come across that choice of picking up a knife and being informed mm. and, and having the, the capability to say this is the wrong decision. And so actually it might help, you know, in that sense. And as a nation, it gets us talking about, OK, what can we do about it? Mm. And, and that's um, positive debate. I think so. And, you know, it it was tough. You know, I, I would I would talk about it and then go and have a cry and mm-hmm. have to go back to my desk and do my job or go yeah. back to my husband and <laughs> to real life a dinner absolutely yeah you've been um really selfless in what you've done you you've done so much to help other people um and you touched just briefly at the start of the podcast about going through those moments where you had to take take a step back and not and maybe not be so public and for anyone listening that is helping other people or being there for other people this kind of analogy of sort of pouring for everyone else and the cup becoming empty for you did you hit a wall where even if it was helping other people you just couldn't talk anymore about it because it was becoming you know detrimental I definitely did. I mean, the the last few years, I so I, I used to be a performer. Everybody will know me from EastEnders maybe many years ago. And I, I was an actress from the age of seven. Um, it's all that I knew how to do. I wasn't trained to do anything else. Um, how old are you now? I'm 35 now. So still young. Still young. I'm 34. It doesn't yeah. feel like it. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, 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 I'd been in the public eye for a long time. The campaign put me in the public eye. That was my choice. It's all my choice. So, you know, it was fine. But, you know, for a long time, I kind of kept going, kept going, wanting to help as many people as I could and and realising I hadn't taken any time for to process what had happened. Mm-hmm. And a few years ago, I, I made the choice actually to... to stop acting it wasn't something that I enjoyed anymore mm-hmm. why, come... why did you stop enjoying it I I'm not sure I mean I think basically I fell into acting I was a really shy 
kid. Um, I liked books. I didn't have many friends. And my mum sent me to a local drama school to give me a bit more confidence and bring mm. me out of my shell. And I absolutely hated that part of it. Um, but I... I Turns out I was quite good at the acting bit, and right. I, I got my first TV role in a, a CBBC series called Mud with um, Russell Brand and Russell Tovey, oh, yes. and yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and and I just kind of never stopped working. And all of a sudden, I was thirty, and mm-hmm. I wasn't trained to do anything else. And and it wasn't anything that I chose. Like I didn't, you know, wake up going, oh, "I want to be an actress." I mm-hmm. wasn't a singer or a dancer. I was a one-trick pony, and I didn't kind of set push my mum send me to drama school. I just fell into it, and then I I didn't know how to get out, but. Mm-hmm. In the back of my mind, I was always conscious, you know, I, I wish I'd been a lawyer, actually. That would have been right. something I would what have loved contrast. to have done. Yep, yep, yeah. but I married one, so, you know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so I, I decided a, a few years ago, you know, if you're going to live your life, like I said earlier, mm-hmm. do what you want to do. And, and I made a brave choice to stop acting and, and look after actors. And mm-hmm. um, that's what I've done for four years. And, and with that choice, I completely came out of the public eye. Up until the 10-year anniversary a few months ago, I hadn't done an interview for two years. Because um, it had become too intense? It or? was too intense. I mean, I also, it, I would get literally the worst fear doing it. You know, I, am I saying the right thing? You know, you, you know, I'm sure, Katie, with it, with, you've been, you know, campaigning. There will be 99% of people that are behind you, but mm. you can't please everybody. I of need course. to learn that a yeah. bit more. And one negative comment or... Quite often I will get people message me on Twitter and I try to respond, I try to help. But if I can't and I miss one and I get an angry person who Mm -hmm. says, you know, you didn't answer me back or you haven't Mm -hmm. helped me and that I will get such guilt and and it just wasn't healthy. And Mm -hmm. and you can't help everybody. You know, I I wish that I could. You can't. And, And so I just made the decision, Okay. Just go away and just work on yourself. And also, mm. there are so many other families and people doing ju- what I do just as well. Their stories need to be told. Mm-hmm. They've lost loved ones. And I just thought, let me go back and, and just find a husband, which I right, did, yeah. and, you know, get settled in life. Um, it was only this year, it did coincide with the 10-year anniversary, but the fact that we are, I feel like we're right back at square one with the amount of children that we're mm-hmm. losing, that I've said, right, okay, can I be doing anything more? Mm, mm. When you met your husband, because this is all obviously... How long have you been together? Uh, so we've been together two and a bit years and married for nine months. It oh, was, uh, congratulations. It was a whirlwind. Thank you very much. We have um, lovely Judge Rinder to... Intro- well, he introduced us, so oh, we, right. we must okay. thank him for introducing us. So oh, wow. he came into my life two and a bit years ago and, and made it much better. And did he know about your background or did he not know at all? So he was aware of who I was, um, mm. you know, I believe. And, and, you know, I think before our first date said he was going to do some Googling. And I said, please don't. Um, yeah. There's some terrible pictures out there that I don't want you to see. <laughs> Bad hairstyle. And also, yeah, I, you know, there, there is that. And again, you'll be aware of this a certain element of going into something where somebody's going to pity you mm-hmm. immediately or feel sad for you. And, and mm-hmm. they know more about you than you'll you will ever know about them. And mm-hmm. and. Of course, I wanted him to to know about the story, but I wanted to be the one to tell it. And mm. um, you know, I didn't. I it is that kind of. I, I I like to think I'm a strong woman who who's quite funny and cheerful most days. So I didn't want to walk into a situation yeah. with someone going, "Are you okay? Poor you." Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I suppose it sort of brings up questions for anyone that's listening about boundaries of, you know, you want you you knew what you wanted to do with your campaigning and the positive change you wanted to make. But it was about setting that boundary for your own happiness, mental health, not letting the press victimise you and, and turn and drag it into something it wasn't and actually then becoming 
detrimental for your own happiness. And, Absolutely. And, you know, I... I and Groundhog Day. You know. Of course. You, 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 you can't... You can't relive it all of the it, mm. it it will kill you it's not healthy and and you know every time every time I would get a message that said why aren't you speaking out where are you now I would feel guilty because it's a strange accounts of it. it's sort of like you know well this is you this is you now and this is what you're responsible for all the time absolutely and, and I, I didn't want thing. to just be known for that I mean mm. in all honesty I used to be you know Brooke Kinsella from EastEnders and I'm now known as, as Ben's sister and mm. that's a privilege and an honour I'm happy with that that's fine but um, you know I'm I'm not just a campaigner and actually half the time I fully admit I haven't got a clue what I'm doing I, I never <laughs> did um, you know I've I've worked with most of the government parties and home office and and mm-hmm. various organizations and and I am so grateful that I've had this voice and I hope I've done some good with it but it's quite scary you know I was 25 when Ben died and I was working with the home office and I was yeah. standing it's a big up big responsibility it really yeah. is and, and that's a lot of pressure on your shoulders I mean I, I've got a sister who's that age now and she's still a baby to me mm. she's my little baby and, yeah. and you know I, the the thought now when I think back of standing next to David Cameron doing a speech like, mm. I, I'm just I don't know how how I did that actually it's, it's quite scary and and I started I think you know it's that thing of when you're younger you have no fear but the older you get you know even it roller coasters are petrifying <laughs> yeah. that's what's happened to me I've started to to feel the fear and I guess feel the the, the burden and um, you know, it's hard to have that burden when when you have got husbands and, mm. and life to be getting on with. How do you manage anxiety? You touched there on having a younger sister. So if you decide to have children of your own, um, or like you said, you're, you're you know you are a big sister to to her. How do you manage that anxiety of like oh, I don't want you to go to the pub? It's I I mean I'm not there yet, so I I can sit here and say oh you know this is what I'll do. I have no idea what happens. I mean for any of you mums out there, you know mm. it is a big thing was made this year of of me apparently saying I don't want to have kids because of what's happened to Ben, and that's not the case at all. What I said was I I am scared because mm. I think the world that we live in, the state of our streets in London, I I you know it, it's not a happy place. It's mm-hmm. not it, it does worry me, but you know. Any mum, any first-time parent will have all of these fears, irrational or not. Yeah. Um, I, I've got two nephews now, and on the one hand, they help me get through all those days when I'm feeling anxious. Mm. I go and have a cuddle. I take them to the park. That helps massively. The thought of them growing up, it, it just, it literally gives me horrors. You know, mm. I, I'd want to wrap them in cotton ball forever, but I know that I can't. And you know, you must. I'm really grateful, actually, that at 16. Ben had experienced as much as he had at his young life, yeah. and, you know, because he, he's not here anymore. And I think you've got to let kids live their lives. All you can do, I guess, is is advise them and educate them. And, and mm. you know, education is the biggest crux of what I do in my work and my mm-hmm. campaign. We educate, you know, we've had 13,000 young people through our doors of the Ben Kinsella exhibition. And, and all we do is, you know, try and guide them down the right path and give them... So you them... work with the offender, you hands-on with the poten- potential offenders? So we're more early intervention. We right. start at that last year of primary school, you know, before mm. children go up to secondary school and they are susceptible to all of the peer pressure, mm-hmm. new friends, you know, new environments, people saying, do this or do that if you want to be in our gang. You know, it's it's that such 
they go from, you know, the kings of the castle to the bottom of the food mm-hmm. chain. And I think it's so important to kind of equip them with the tools of, you know, it's okay to say no to anything, to mm-hmm. drugs, to sex, to yeah. to, to weapons. Um, so our, our whole ethos is prevention rather than cure. You know, mm-hmm. lots of organisations do wonderful work around rehabilitation and offenders. We want to get in there first, so, so that really it never, early in absolutely, that so that hopefully it never gets to that point. Um, and it's not just male; it's female as well. Is it is. Right? I mean, sadly, girls are being caught up in so much more. I mean, there, you know, there, there's there's sexual exploitation, there's grooming. They they are holding drugs and weapons for for boys that they hang around with. They are carrying knives themselves. Mm. Um, there's a whole world out there that is is scary. And have you noticed, I mean, is there anything significant you could call on that you say the ch- the changes that the, the the charity has made where you can see for everything you've been through and for, and for it's quite tireless, this kind of work, you know, it's constant. Has there been poignant moments where you've said this makes what I'm doing worth it and, and makes you realise I've got to carry on? Absolutely. I mean, on a daily basis. So we have children in our exhibition uh, every day from schools and, you know, their mentality and their personality when they come in and they're full of bravado and and in front of their friends and you know they're they're clammed up and they won't talk to you and then they do the two-hour workshop and they hear Ben's story and they work with our facilitators and they come Mm. out and we do an evaluation before or after and they are completely different young people Mm. um we've had them open up in confidence to our facilitators um about situations that they're aware of um you know people they may know carrying knives uh that they just didn't really a understand what a problem it was or b know who to talk to about it and that's on a small scale for me i mean we've had young people turn their lives around and win awards we've had people come and work for our trust as facilitators and you know it, it I'd, I'd like to think that we are making some kind of difference. You know, out of those yeah. 13,000 young kids, I don't know if any of them have gone on or would go on to pick up a weapon, but if one of them did and said... That's massive. No, yeah. that's a life saved, potentially. When you get that feedback, when you when you hear about that stuff happening as a result of what you've done, do you get an adrenaline, like a pos- an elated feeling of, well, that that that's some in this whole big, mess of things like that's some sense some that that, that's a a breakthrough moment a glimmer of light a glimmer of hope I think overwhelmingly I I feel pride I think for Ben I mean you know Mm. everything that we do is about him and I think you know as a little 16 year old boy from Islington if he I hope he's aware of what he's done and the changes he's made from all of these kids, you know, from from the Ben's law that was changed, all of these things, I'm so proud of him, you know, and, and, you know, it goes back to, well, he has been remembered, that's amazing, but I just feel like it's it's all him, really, so I feel a lot of pride. Um, and yes, hope, I think if we don't have hope, we'd be in a very bad place, and a lot of people mm-hmm. say to me, don't you just want to give up, especially with where we are now, you know, yeah. I can't believe that 10 years on, I'm not sitting here saying to you, oh, look what we've done, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. We're actually the opposite. We're we're in just as bad a place or worse. And that's disheartening. Yeah. But if we give up, then we're in trouble. And lastly, what do you think the future holds for you and the charity? Will there come a day where you decide to close the door and say, we've got to where we want to get and now we all want to move on? Um, or will the charity forever run, but perhaps you'll be much more in the background? What do you think? 
Well, we actually had this this discussion, you know, this 10-year marking because it is tiring, although we have a wonderful team and the charity is, is running itself. Mm. You know, it's it's my family that set it up and it works because it is us giving it that personal touch and that mm. story. And, um, you know, my mum and dad are nearing their 60s, their grandparents, they're yeah. tired. You know, I have a husband. I'd like to, you know, hopefully have children in the future. That will take up a lot of time, I hear, yes. as you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and it's, it's really hard. But, you know, at the same time, we... we we have set this up and, and it is in Ben's name and we, again, feel a certain amount of responsibility. And, mm-hmm. and you know, the more young people that hear Ben's story, for mm-hmm. me, you know, the the better that's what I want. So actually our, our hopes and our dreams are now we made the decision, no, OK, if we're going to do it, let's do it. And what we'd love is so we've created the Ben Kinsella exhibition in, in London. Mm-hmm. We're in talks to open one up in Nottingham and open oh, it brilliant. across the country and use yeah. other people's stories too, you know, local yeah. stories to get people along. So um, I'd like to think we'll keep go- you know, going for a while. Um, but you just never know, I guess. And, and I think it, what I've learned is about not putting that pressure on myself. We can uh-huh. only do what we can do and I will continue to do what I can do. And if it gets to the day where I can't do any more, I will I will have to stop, I guess. Yeah, I suppose, I mean, I've learned so much just talking to you in this this, this short time about, I suppose, adapting yeah, and recognising. and Absolutely. You can't, because you've map had to out. adapt. You do, you yeah. do. You can't map out your life. You can't, you don't know how you'll feel one day to the next, let alone one year to the next. So it is, mm. it's exactly that. It's about adapting. Um, it's just about doing the best you can do, not alongside anybody else's standards. I think just, yeah. just do what you can do. Well, thank you so much for being so honest and open. Um, it's been really, really interesting. Thank you. And um, I hope everyone that's listening has taken different nuggets of information from all the, the wisdom and advice that you've shared today. Thank so, you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, I'll be talking to Tulsi Vagiani. She's a Pilates instructor and motivational speaker and has an incredible story to tell. As a child, she was involved in a plane crash where her entire immediate family perished and she suffered serious and life-changing burns. She talks to me about how she found the strength through some really challenging times as she grew up. If you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show where you got this or share on socials.